0: Thank you for joining us today at Revolution 22. We are a church in downtown Boise, Idaho. As we learn from God's word in the book of John, we pray that his word would be received and would bear fruit in your life.
1: He who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. For he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning and the freedom to gather together as believers in your name. And we know that because there are two or more here gathered together that you're here, Jesus. And so we just ask that your spirit fill this place, God, that your spirit would open hearts and ears and eyes and minds to your truth and your gospel, God, that we would be encouraged, that we would be convicted, and that we would be sanctified, and that if there's someone here this morning, God, that does not know you as the wonderful savior that you are, God, open their hearts this morning to your truth. God, we praise you, we love you, and we lift up the rest of this day to you, and it's your name in your name. Amen.
0: Pride. Pride is a lethal infection that seeps into the deepest parts of who we are and hides out until it thinks it can come out without being rooted out. It is adaptable, moving from one form of independence from God to another. Sometimes it looks like arrogance. Sometimes it looks like laziness. Sometimes it is loud and angry, and sometimes it is quiet and aloof. Pride is the silent sickness we all have yet struggle to see, it is the origin of most sin and the depths of it. Pride is independence from God, believed and lived out. Pride is the antithesis of following Jesus. And yet, Jesus' followers can sometimes misapply the principles of God to abandon God in a self-righteous stupor rarely brought to light. Self-righteousness can be loosely based on God's laws and deceive those around us into believing that we are humble followers of Jesus when we are actually hungry pleasers of self. It is the sin that we can't see. But as soon as we see some symptom of it, we are tempted to preserve it by false confession and vain posturing. It is trying to kill us. And the enemy is trying to appeal to our pride to murder our faith as it was used to try and murder Jesus on the cross. So how do we stop this epidemic? We unmask it and we join in community. It is only when the symptoms of pride are seen by others and ourself that we can then submit to God and cry out for forgiveness. On the issue of pride, Jonathan Edwards said it this way, and this is a, a little hard to hear, so you might see it up on the screen, but the language is different than how we speak today, so I, I'm going to read it, but, but you'll have to pay attention, I think, to get it. The first and the worst cause of errors that prevail in such a state of things is spiritual pride. This is the main door by which the devil comes into the hearts of those who are zealous for the advancement of religion. It is the chief inlet of smoke from the bottomless pit to darken the mind and mislead judgment. This is the main handle by which the devil has hold of religious persons and the chief source of all mischief that he introduces to clog and to hinder a work of God. This cause of error is the main spring, or at least the main support, of all the rest. Till this disease is cured, medicines are in vain, applied to heal other diseases. It is by this that the mind defends itself in other errors and guards itself against the light, by which it might be corrected and reclaimed. The spiritually proud man is full of light already. He does not need instruction and is ready to despise the offer of it. But... If this disease be healed, other things are easily rectified. The humble person is like a little child. He easily receives instruction. He is jealous over himself, sensible how liable he is to go astray. And therefore, if it be suggested to him that he does so, he is ready most narrowly and impartially to inquire. Nothing sets a person so much out of the devil's reach as humility. And so prepares the mind for true divine light without darkness, and so clears the eyes to look on things as they truly are. As we think about pride, as we think about John the Baptist, as we look at humility, I want to be clear. I want this message to be harsh if you're prideful. I want this to hurt you if you are prideful. Because it is the injury from me that hopefully will save you. God is doing a work. He's doing a work in you. The thing that will stop it is you. The thing that will pause it is you. The thing that will clog it is you. The hindrance to it is that independent sense of being separate from Him. And the believer is not immune to the sense. See, this is the truth of John the Baptist. This is when we look at him in in John 1 and we look at him in John 3, we see a picture of somebody who humbly steps aside to let Jesus' worship take center stage. But See, that's the the mantra of the proud is, is false humility. Right? The proud person, especially within our kingdom communities, the proud person can look very humble. God sees your heart. You are not hiding. And your pride will come forward and it will be rooted out because he is good. See, John the Baptist gives us a very simple decree. He gives us a very simple thing to look at, a very simple point that I think anybody who's a follower of Jesus would say, yeah, that's true, 100%, man. I'm right there. He says this, I must decrease and he must increase. I must decrease and he must increase. So today, I'm going to give you something very, very simple. Now, my goal is that if you are a broken person who recognizes your need and dependence of God daily, my hope is today you are comforted, encouraged, blessed to walk forward in that humility and grace. But if you are proud, let your boat be rocked. Because if not... Your pride will aim to kill you, to take you down as it can. Now, I'll explain later that the life of the believer has a different posture in this, and what this means is different. But nonetheless, you need to understand, this is not a small matter. It's trying to kill you. If you don't wrestle with it today, then the Lord will, in his graciousness, break you. In his love of you, he will injure you or allow you to be injured for the sake of growing you into a new humble place. The two simple things we see in John the Baptist and his humility is this. Number one, in this passage, we see that the joy of the humble is to step aside and see God be worshiped. And number two is that John recognized that all good things come from God. Now, those are simple. If you've been following Jesus for a while, those two things should not surprise you. But the thing about me as a prideful person, is that sometimes the simplest truths are the things that I let pass over me like a stone, and I feel immovable. And yet it is the simple truths that move that stone so that the Lord may use me. My hope is is that the simple things today will impact you again as humble, loving, broken, submitted followers of Jesus for the sake of moving forward, for the sake of going somewhere, for the sake of seeing Jesus worshiped. Now, there are some little details here about timing and location in the beginning of these passages in in John 3. That particular detail is not insignificant. That's where we get this stepping aside idea. Because if you notice, if you remember from chapter 1, John the Baptist is preaching in the wilderness and everybody's coming to him, right? He's got this super impactful ministry. He's got everybody coming. See what John is doing. Repentance, repentance, repentance. And everybody, it says, from Jerusalem and Judea is coming. Now, it says that John is now baptizing in Anon near Salim. Okay, what's interesting about that is is that that's actually north from where he starts. Well, what does that mean? What difference does that make? It means this. There was this small period of time where Jesus's ministry and John's ministry overlap, okay? And what we see is that John steps aside to let and help people come to Jesus, who is teaching in the wilderness, and his disciples are baptizing as well. Now, John's disciples are struggling with this. We see this in this passage. John's disciples are having an argument about really whose baptism is better, Jesus's or John's? Well, Hindsight 2020, 20 it's Jesus. And John tells us it's Jesus. But nonetheless, at the time, these disciples were struggling and wrestling with this. They have somebody whom they care about, John. They see John's ministry as impactful. They see his, his numbers swelling and people are repenting. They're coming out to the dirty waters of the Jordan to get clean. And you see John the Baptist in his way, always consistently stepping aside and saying, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. I'm not the guy. I'm not the guy. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And this is a physical representation. Not only is John decreasing in his ministry, but Jesus is increasing in his. And we see this as it happens. And John says this, right? He must increase and I must decrease. And he says that. That's a physical reality. The ministries that were literally going in opposite directions. John's time is about done. And he will be in prison and he will die. His ministry is over. What's remarkable is that it doesn't end with this glorious retirement. It ends with a seeming whimper and death. But John knew his spot. John knew what he was doing. And that is the example that he sets today. You see, Jesus had a better ministry than John could. Now, that, again, seems so simple. But hear this from John's words, okay? This is the words that the disciples of John probably needed to really let sink in. Matthew 3.11, it says, I baptize you, this is John the Baptist talking, with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Okay, you have repentance, which is helpful, healthy. Repent, confess, I need to be cleaned of my sin because something's coming. And then you have Jesus who literally puts the personal spirit of God in people and sets them on fire ablaze to move throughout the cities and towns and countries to take what is true to somebody and people who need it, anybody. Now, what's the humility of John is the ability to not only recognize that, but lean into the fact that his ministry diminishes and Jesus' increases. Now, for this reason, Jesus says this of John, and this is important language once we see a little bit more of what John the Baptist is going to say here. Matthew eleven eleven. Jesus says of John the Baptist, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now what made John great was not many followers. It was humility. This is a kingdom ethic. What makes you great is not your ability to recognize the impact It's your ability to see how much you need God and how much others do too. That is greatness. Your greatness is defined by his greatness. One of the signs of humility is knowing how the spotlight needs to be pointing to Jesus. John's response here in John 3, is, and he mentions this in verse 27, is that someone cannot receive something unless it is given to him by God. Now this may sound simple, but necessary. This is God's universe, and he is active in moving time forward the way he wants. He is over everything, and this includes everything. A believer is made for pointing others to Jesus in the same humble way that John the Baptist does. And whatever good fruit they see in any of their efforts in this life, it's from God. Let me read to you a humbling passage again. And again, let me remind you. The prideful will hear these words and it will roll over them with no impact. I could say this in a mirror, so please understand that my harshness is really to myself as well. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. This is Ephesians 2:8-10. 2, 2, not a result of works so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So one of the things that's interesting here is this, and I had a, an elder one time tell me this. I was, uh, I was feeling sorry for myself, which I am prone to do, and in feeling sorry for myself, I went and talked to one of the elders of the church I was going to at the time, and I said, hey, I'm, I'm kind of down on myself. I just feel like life kind of stinks right now, and I don't know. I feel like I'm going nowhere, and uh, I just don't feel like I'm a like, very good person, and like I don't feel like I'm like doing anything. And he looks at me, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, you aren't." <laughs> what? <laughs> I thought you were supposed to encourage me, man. No, no, no. You're worse than you think you are. No, but for real, man. Like, yeah, you're worse. He's like, if you really understood who you were. Like you wouldn't just be down on yourself. You'd be hunting and searching and helping and trying and finding and scratching and whatever to get to somebody who could help you. You see, the prideful person is someone who doesn't know how bad they are. And right now I'm speaking to you, prideful person. You are worse than you think you are. You are not a good person. You don't bring to the table what you think you do. You do not have what you think you have. You are messed up. See, the mark of a humble person is not that they feel good about themselves. It's that they recognize that the good in them isn't of themselves. The greatest truth in the world is that, yes, We are as bad as we think we are. And yes, Jesus is as good in us as we think he is. And anything good that you do, that good is from God. That is not you. No, what we bring to the table is not good. What we bring to the table is a brokenness what God does with that brokenness is he circumvents and he plants a goodness that we could never have gotten otherwise. We couldn't even have known it existed. We had no knowledge of this kind of goodness. But inside of you he has chosen to put inside of you a goodness that is from him. Now It is a kindness to act kindly to another. It is a deep grace to give your goodness to another. Especially when they don't deserve it. The Apostle Paul also reflects this when speaking of ministry. Now to be clear, I understand that the Apostle Paul and his unique calling, some of us would say, well yeah, but that's the Apostle Paul, he has ministry or, you know, maybe somebody who has in full-time ministry, they have ministry and they need to worry about these things more than I do. The truth is, is that you are a royal priesthood. You have been set in a place to inspire Jesus' worship in this world. You need to know that. You are here to push forward the kingdom thought process, not the way of your own flesh or the culture. You are here as a kingdom-minded messenger and a bringer of good news who is Jesus. The good news is, He's good. You're not, but he'll give you good. Paul says this, I have become its servant, this is Colossians 1.25, by the commission of God that he gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. Paul says again of himself in 1 Corinthians 4.7, for who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? This is true of anything good. All good comes from God, and that should quiet us. One of the most simple to understand passages and hardest to really understand passages is James 1.17. It says, every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of change these are elementary things but you and i are elementary people now we're capable of understanding the greatest truths that god wants to offer us but the truth is is that we receive those things even knowledge is received from the holy spirit according to john 16 Each of us has ministry here on earth. That's part of the reason you're here. You and I are gifted, resourced, and given proper vision to do good works. That's what Ephesians 2.10 says to us. Yet we must continue to recognize that our life is not about our life. It's about Jesus, and waking up each day is about Jesus, 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 the name above every name. And anybody who is participating in their unique role in gifting, inside of the strength of God's spirit, lives with joy, sweet, deep joy joy because the truth of the matter is is another thing that the humble understand the joy of the humble is to step aside and see god be worshipped now something that i that i really enjoy and i, and I want to share it with you is the first question of the westminster catechism it says what is the chief end of man to glorify god and enjoy him forever so let me remind you of some of the passages in this because here's the temptation the temptation for us is that we, in some form or another, we almost like kind of slide into our own pride and independence. We don't, really, we don't really work at it. If we don't work at understanding, and when I say we don't work, I mean if we don't just simply submit and humble ourselves before the Lord, then what will happen is that we will literally find ourselves mining everything else we can for joy. Why? because we're looking for something that we can do that makes us feel happy and dependent from God. Hear that. You are literally hungry for joy. You are so hungry for that contentment. You are so hungry for depth and pleasure that you will mine it. But God says, look to me, look to me. You will see pleasure. You will see joy, but it comes in the humble and the broken, not in the prideful and the independent. You won't find joy in making human strength an idol for you. You will find joy in seeing your strength as nothing and watching as God puts strength in you to do something you never thought you could. It's beautiful. Which is why passages like these warm the hearts of the humble and they are neutral to the prideful. You make known to me, this is Psalm 1611, the path of life, and in your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. John 15, 11, these things, this is uh, Jesus saying, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. First Peter 1, 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Do you guys want to know what the sense of the kingdom of God is? Do you want to know what it's going to look like going forward for us to have impact collectively as as covenant community together, not just this church, but all of them? Do you want to know what it looks like? The sense of the kingdom is joy. The sense of the kingdom is not discontentment and frustration and anger and bitterness and clamoring. The sense, that thing that you can't tangibly communicate about the kingdom of God is joy. That broken people who see how bad they are can actually go, oh my goodness, I I get to see good. I don't deserve good. I deserve what I get if I live independently of God, which is death. Ah, but it is the the joy of the kingdom that sets alight things that are dark. It is the joy of the kingdom that exposes the false gods that we can see in our culture in ourselves. See, this is the beauty of it. That when we come to the Lord in humility and brokenness, continually, regularly, every day, what happens is that we, we simply, <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. There's no practical outplaying in this, okay? Like, I'm not going to give you something to do today. Hopefully you know that already. Because if you're like me, you would take it in some sort of self-righteous moment and make that thing happen. Potentially, if you're prideful. No, what I'm saying to you today is this. There is an air around you. There is something that is around you. There is a sense in which you are. There is how you function when nobody can see it. There is who you are in the private moments. There is what you feel on your deepest insides that no one else can see that you can't fake. And if your air is discontent, frustrated, angry, bitter, clamoring, you got a problem. picture of the groom, the best man, and the bride in this passage is really cool because it's a unique situation in John 3 that I don't think as a culture we could understand it unless I explained it uh, more. But um, I'll I'll read one way that a prominent theologian said it. He said, in ancient times, the best man called the shoshpin, he had a very important role to play, a very important role. Now, weddings were big deals in their time. They lasted as long as a week, and they were planned months in advance. And the bridegroom was getting his house ready because the wedding took place when the house was ready and everything was prepared. And so the bridegroom had his best man, his closest friend, who would do all the work, take care of all the duties and responsibilities, and all the while communicate with the bride and let the bride know when and where and how to meet and get everything ready. And then when the day was done and it was supposed to happen, he would take the bride and he would present the bride to the bridegroom and he was done. And he fades to the background because the wedding day was about the bride and the groom. You see, this is us. This is who we are. The best we will ever be is people who can step aside and show people Jesus or point them there. See, Jesus' worship is something that we are after as a kingdom. I ask this knowing that both the prideful and humble will answer this the same way. But if you are prideful, I, I want you to hear me on this. You're lying to yourself because you don't want to see Jesus worshiped. You want to see yourself get better. You want to see you better. That's not the ethic of the kingdom. In this kingdom, we don't get better, we die. Die to yourself. That you may live with Him. Take up your cross daily. This is not take up your devotional so you learn a little bit more daily. That may be some uh, that may be a part of it. But you gotta understand something. Something I want to communicate to those who are prideful. You can do the work the kingdom does and be working against the kingdom. Your heart is sick if you are proud. And I cannot emphasize this enough. Either pride will kill you and make you independent of God, or you will lay yourself on the altar and die dependent on God. You're gonna die either way. Will you Submit to Jesus? Will you depend on God? Because you see who you are and you see who He is. See, because if you want to be used by God in this life, then you need to put a plan in place that you will regularly be triggered by the truth. I would like the prideful in this moment right now, if you are proud today, I would like you to be angry because then you finally show yourself. There will be multiple times where we feel like we have come to the end of ourselves if we want to be humble. There will be multiple times where we come and we feel like, gosh, in some situation, I gotta find a way to make myself happy again. I gotta find a way to get back to that contentment. I gotta find a way to do it. And the proud will simply try to self-medicate with hobbies, sin, or avoidance. And we will need to, at some point, break that and lean on God and embrace the reality that we are as bad as the scriptures teach we are, and that God is as good in us as the scriptures teach he is. See, you don't just want God. You don't just kind of like, you need him, man. We need him. We are not in a good place without him. We need him. And you know what else? It is the humble that will be used to teach that to other people who need him too. And they don't know it yet. They don't know it yet because they can't see the depths of their own sin. They can't see the depths of his goodness. Because to see the high rise of who Jesus is and his goodness is to see the lowest basement of who we are. And at the same time, we come to him and he gives us goodness. He takes broken, sick, messed up people. And the safest place to be for a broken person is with Jesus. You got to hear that. When you look at John, okay, when you, let's just look at John again for a second because, you know, that's what the passage is about. So, like, if we look at John and we say, John as a humble representation of what it looks like to be a good human. All he was was somebody who pushed everybody away towards Jesus. At some point, we've got to look at this and we've got to say, gosh, the crux of the gospel is that I am sinful to my core and God rescued me and graced me abundantly for his glory and his name. And when we come to Jesus, he that imputes righteousness on us and gives us something we could never earn. And yet, our flesh and the devil's schemes work together to try and make us feel independent from God, even if we submitted once. And see, the the, the issue is this, is we need to recognize or see that we need God every day. This is not just a one-time thing. You need God as much today as you did the day you said, I need God. That's who we are. We are needy people of God. We need Him every day. And in recognition, this humility then begins to spread. And it literally launches the kingdom of God out into whatever it is that He's going to do because it's His work. Hear this. You need grace, not just once, not just the times when the real bad sins come out, but every minute of every day. And hear this God opposes the proud, but He gives grace. the humble. Humility is a marker of truly graced people, and grace is not just about salvation from sin, but grace is a sustenance for life. The humble are those who see their sin and remain in a state of brokenness about it, even while they grow stronger and have great confidence that the Holy Spirit is stronger in us than the sin that wants to kill us. And hear this, you're not perfect today, I'm not perfect today. Not only that, the thing that isn't perfect is going to try to kill us, but God is stronger than that thing. It is a silent killer. Pride is the sin that others can see and you can't. And sometimes you're so good at seeing it, even others can't. But who cares? Because when you know who God is, and when you know who you are without him, it matters very little what others think. Because God sees your heart. and He knows you. So the last part of today, all I want us to do is I want us to take a moment to look at the breadth of pride. Okay, these are manifestations of pride. Ways that you can know, okay, like, I got some business with the Lord. And I was talking with somebody early on and, and they were like, gosh, what do I do? Like, I, I see so much of this pride in myself and I go, me too. I pretty much wrote the list. Takes one to know one. And they're like, what do I do? And I go, I got nothing for you. You just gotta get to Jesus and I don't know what that looks like for you. I can't tell you what to do. And it wouldn't help. I can't give you three steps to fix your pride because your pride will fix your pride. No, you need to get to Jesus. You need to get to him today. Because if you have pride in you, you will see that that pride is trying to kill you. And yes, God is stronger than that. But it's trying to kill you. Not to mention the last place I want to go is this. I, I, I don't know what you think about our time and our age, and particularly 2021 and where we're at in our country and all that stuff. But what I will say is this. Where things are headed are two ways. There's two ways this thing can go, okay? It's either revival or persecution, then revival. And you got to hear that because where this is going is farther and farther and farther toward Jesus' worship at some point. We know that every single knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. That's where we're going the humble will participate in how the kingdom is pushing forward into any and every opposition in the world. The prideful will try and try and try, but they will be the clog. They will be the thing that tries to gum up the movement. So whatever the revival looks like, whether it's just revival or it's persecution, then revival, it is the prideful, including myself, that will try to squelch it without realizing it. Get right. Do it now. Either you will be humble and broken today in front of the Lord, or you will be broken by the Lord. That's the kindest he can be to you. So as we read these out, I just wanted to do it, I want to do it quietly and... Um, Take a look at the screen, you'll see what's going on. Um, I don't know what it looks like for you today. But you need to get to Jesus. Because Jesus will be worshipped. And even if culture makes you think that Jesus is dying, we know the truth. That every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. So get to Jesus. Do it now. And let these things wash over you. If you are angry and triggered by these manifestations, then they did what they were supposed to do. You probably have pride. And you need to get away from it as quick as possible. And the way to do that is to get to Jesus. Because broken, sad, people who realize where they're really at, There's only one safe place for you to be, and that's with Jesus. So let's get to Jesus today. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. Please visit revolution22.org to find out more information about our church. We remind you to continue to value community. We pray that God's word has drawn you closer to Him and that you may continue.